0: Welcome to the Table Leadership Podcast, where everyone is invited to pull up a seat and all leaders have a voice to contribute to the conversation. We're glad you could join us today. And now, your host, Sian Edgerton. I his book's called cooperation or... Mm-hmm.
1: Called to, call to cooperate? Called to, to cooperate, yeah. Or yeah, something yeah. like yep. that? Okay. Yep, I was it. wondering what the connection point was, but he had reached out. Same thing. You know, I've got a book. I'm trying to do podcast yep. interviews. So, yeah. okay, cool. Well, yeah. yeah, I've got him coming on in, I think, next month.
0: Oh, really I'm great. pretty sure. That's awesome. yeah. Yeah, that's so cool. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm very honored that you would, you would make time to let me be on here.
1: Absolutely, man. I love what you guys are doing. So so let's talk about it. Um, but first of all, most importantly, uh, just introduce yourself for everybody who's going to be listening um, that doesn't know you. I've known you for a while. Our churches were connected. Um, Amber and I were super, super close, um, especially back when we were both leading in children's ministry. And so we got to kind of you know, figure that world out together, which was a ton of fun. Um, but tell us a little bit about just who you are and where you're from and what your context of leadership looks like right now.
0: So uh, I'm Rob Shepard and married to Monica. We've been married for, for 19 years, almost 19 years. And uh, we have twins who just turned nine years old yesterday. Um, and so that's cool. And I'm the lead pastor of Next Level Church in Yorktown, Virginia. And uh, I planted the church. uh, It'll be eight years ago uh, in April. So we're coming up on our eighth year uh, uh, birthday. Um, But I'm also uh, really big into social media and I'm an author. um, And I do some coaching um, and help out an organization called Church Boom that helps uh, churches uh, really focused on helping churches break the 200 barrier.
1: Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So I have to ask, uh, and because there's a lot of really great stuff in your introduction, but you said the twins just had a birthday uh, sure. and, and yet at this time you guys are in the middle of a, you know, like quarantine lockdown yeah. shelter in place, you know, COVID craziness. So what did that look like? Cause we actually have a kid coming up who has a birthday and it's going to be in the middle of our lockdown. And so we're trying to figure out what do we do? So how do you lead your family in yeah. the middle of a pandemic? Yeah.
0: Thankfully, uh, my, my wife is, um, she, she's like, a the poster woman for Pinterest. Like, um, she, every year she throws really big kid parties. So she felt a little bit of pressure of like, how do we, not that it's a competition, but like, how do you top this when they're used to all their friends coming? And there's always the, she, she gets these specialty cakes made. Um, like last year, everything was Harry Potter. And so like, I mean, the cakes just look amazing. There's all that we play Quidditch. Like there's all this stuff goes into it. So then this year it's like, well, what do we do? Cause we can't have the party. Um, and she, she's a planner. So she had already bought everything. Like this year they wanted a, a Hot Wheels party. So we already had the pinata. Um, we had uh, games. We had, uh, uh, I mean, every type of food that has a Hot Wheels car. We had fruit snacks and like every, we have, we have it all at our house and we couldn't use any of it. Um, so we're going to postpone the party. But then she was just thinking and brainstorming and said she wanted to do something special for the kids. So she came up with this idea to do a um, birthday parade and um, she invited, she went to Facebook and said, Hey, we have to keep, you know, this is social distancing, but if anyone would like to make a sign, put it on their car, uh, drive by our house, our kids will sit out front in the yard and um, you can wish them happy birthday. And uh, so she got, I mean, it was, I posted it all on social media. I, I never counted, which I need to count how many it was, but I mean, it was at least a, a dozen to 15 people. Um, their principal came, their assistant principal came, their teacher came, um, so they're, they're both of their best friends came, some friends from church. Um, and so it, they were, it was a, my son yesterday, we went on the table and said, you know, what was the most memorable birthday we've ever had? And my son said this year was his, his most memorable birthday. So yeah, wow. it was really cool.
1: That's so yeah. special. That's a great idea. We might have to steal that.
0: Please steal away. She says she got it from somewhere, but I think she invented it because she's good like that. But
1: <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. So the next question that I have to ask you then, which I ask everybody is if we were actually gathering leaders around the table to invest in them and develop them, obviously not right now because of the six foot issue that we have, of course. Um, (laughs) But if we were actually gathering people live around a table instead of virtually, what would you be literally feeding us?
0: Yeah. So I thought about this question a lot and I would, I would approach it one of two ways. First I would find out what everyone loves and uh, I'm an Enneagram nine. And so I'm a peace peacemaker and I love, I love serving people. So I would first find out what does everyone love and I would find out a way to bring what they all love. Um, but if you're asking what I would bring to the table, um, one of the specialties that I have is um, I stumbled upon a recipe for chocolate chip cookies. Um, my my wife had a student when we were living in Texas that made the best chocolate chip cookies I've ever had in my life. And I got the recipe from her and I just started making them. And um, for whatever reason, it's become locally famous for the people that know me. And so um, people ask for the cookies all the time. And I actually funded um, my new book, um, I paid for it, um, by selling these cookies. So, um, what I would bring to the table would be, uh, these chocolate chip cookies,
1: these world changing book writing (laughs) deal, making chocolate chip cookies, apparently. So is there, is there like a secret ingredient?
0: Um, there's not a secret ingredient. And actually the recipe is in the back of my book because the cookies played such a big part of this book. Um, but the, there's not necessarily a secret ingredient, but there is a weird thing. At least I found it weird. It is very specific that it says to mix it with a wooden spoon. And we've had other people who have like have skipped that step or used something else. And for whatever reason, it, maybe this is just mental. Maybe we're making it all up. But for whatever reason, they never turn out as well if you don't use the wooden spoon.
1: Mix them with a wooden spoon. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, now I have to flip all the way to the back of the book so I can try your recipe. Yeah, (laughs) that's awesome. I like that. That's uh, I think that is the first time I've had someone use their Enneagram to answer that question. I have this ongoing list of like my top, you know, favorite answers to that question, um, which, you know, runs the gamut, everything from like I would bring Chipotle because I don't cook <laughs> to all sorts of, you know, really cool, unique foods. Um, but I think that's the first, that's the first Enneagram nine that I've had that has said, yeah, I pretty much just want to make everybody happy. So yeah. I'm going to bring whatever they like. <laughs> that's great. So, okay. So now moving on to the, the really good stuff. Um, what is it that you would say at least in this season that you bring to the leadership table?
0: Yeah. So, you know, I feel like I've stumbled upon leadership. I, I think there are some people who are born uh, leaders and even Scripture talks about the gift of leadership and uh, I don't think that that was like my natural giftedness. Um, mm-hmm. I'm happy being uh, number two in charge. Um, I don't have to have the spotlight. Um, but you know in planning a church, I was kind of thrust into, okay now I'm the leader um, and I had to figure I had to figure that out. So I think one thing that I bring to the table is that I continue to think like and think through what is it like not to be the leader? And um, so, you know, little decisions, like when we make decisions, I'm thinking through, well, how does this impact the little guy? And how does this impact the employees? And not just, you know, okay, we're going to, I'm not a type A leader. So I'm not just like, hey, we're going to, we're going to dominate this and we're going to do everything. I'm constantly trying to think through, okay? Yes, we need to progress. Yes, we need to move. But these actions impact people for the long run, and I'm relationally driven, so I want to make sure we have healthy relationships, and that when we get to our goal, we all still like each other.
1: That's good, because I think, too, the beauty of you talking about how you don't feel like you were naturally born with this impetus to lead, but you were thrust into it. So often, those who are wired kind of with this natural drive and ability to lead usually are pretty... um, you know, ambitious and pioneering. And oftentimes that is one of our greatest faults. And I definitely speak for myself as someone who's hardwired that way is that we've got a vision and we're going for it. And so it takes a lot of intentional growth and maturity um, for us to be able to actually do what you're talking about comes so naturally to you and to keep the team in mind. I think that's awesome. So what I would ask you then is, um, because I think your story is super relatable. I mean, I know a ton of leaders that I work with who would say that very same thing. I never wanted to be a leader. I never thought I would be a leader. All of a sudden I was thrust into this position, whether it was in ministry or, um, you know, starting a, a business or in the military. So if you could go back Or if you were to talk to someone at the very beginning of that journey who all of a sudden feels themselves thrust into this position of leadership, which isn't necessarily what they would have chosen, what words of wisdom or encouragement or advice would you give to them at that point?
0: Yeah, I mean, one of the first things would be um, that John Maxwell coined the phrase that leaders are readers. And um, before planning a church, I was a reluctant reader. Um, and I still don't love to read. I'd rather watch the movie than read a book any day of the week. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I read, I, I, re- I try to read all the time, whether it's podcast or like a blog post or articles um, or books, um, because there's just so much that doesn't come natural to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like, here's an example. I, I thought the way that I try to treat people is based off what Jesus said. Treat others the way that you'd want to be treated. And so when it comes to leadership, I would just treat people. Well, this is what I would want to do. But then when you're leading other people and they have different personalities, the way that I would want to be treated actually offends some people. And that wasn't my goal. Like, I just was like, well, that's the way I would like it done. Um, and it bothers some people. And like, so learning how to adjust how I lead people, all of that is learned through like reading and saying, okay, this is actually how you become a leader and it's not enough just to be a nice guy. Nice guys don't lead things. Like you, you've got to figure out how to be nice and still push the, the ball down the field.
1: Mm. How did you become an avid reader? Cause you mentioned that you don't necessarily love to read. You're a reluctant reader. And again, also a very common and relatable story. So is it just something where, you know, I just have to do this to grow as a leader, or were there other things that you did or things that you found helpful to you um, to really push you to invest that way in your own
0: leadership? Yeah. Um, So one of the first things that I did is, um, and this goes back to kind of being more of a, I'm a recovering people pleaser. um, And so I don't like letting people down. And so if I get in a book club with someone, even if it's just one person, and I have a deadline to, we're meeting on Tuesday, and we're going to read these chapters, I will get it done, because I don't want to let them down. If it's left up to me just to read a book, um, I I find a way not to read. Now, I've I've been doing better. Um, You know, I have a a book by my um, nightstand, and before I go to bed, I try to read for a few minutes, and I just figure if I read even for two or three minutes, I'll get through a book eventually, and that's better than nothing. Um, But the key thing for me has been book clubs. So like, um, I do a small group at our church, and we always do a book. So that's a guarantee of, um, you know, we do three semesters a group. So that's three books a year. Um, we do two uh, book clubs with our staff. And so that's an additional two books a year. And then, um, you know, when someone says, hey, I want to meet with you, um, I don't have time just to meet with everyone. So to show that they have some skin in the game, I say, yeah, I'll be willing to meet with you. Let's read a book and we'll discuss that book. And so I often do two or three additional book clubs throughout the year. Um, and that discipline gives me the ability to, to finish books.
1: That's fantastic. And those are actually some really creative ideas to give yourself the motivation. But also, I love how you're bringing in your church. You're bringing in the people that you're mentoring and coaching. You're bringing in your staff because I I absolutely believe that that readers are leaders. Um, and so I love how you've actually made it a community thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's
1: awesome. So what would you say are maybe your top two or three kind of all time favorite? Hey, someone who feels like I really want to grow my leadership. What would you tell them to read?
0: Um, essential, have you read Essentialism? No, it is a game changer. Okay. Um, uh, like it. it the, the book continued to slap me around um, like every chapter. He would give examples of like how people think. And it's like literally exact thoughts that I would think, and it's how not to do things. And so I constantly saw myself in his book. Um, But essentialism, was basically sum it up, is uh, learning how to say no to everything that's not essential so that you can actually be great at at something, because we can't be great at everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's tough for me, because I tend to be kind of a jack of all trades. And I'm like not great at anything. I'm good at a lot of things. Um, and so that book was very challenging of like, if we want to be great as an organization, if I want to be great as a person, um, I've got to say no to some good things in order to be great at something. Um, so that was definitely a, a a game changer. Um, good to great, um, is a pretty standard classic. Um, but that book continues to challenge us and it's something we talk about all the time. Um, I love his idea of the hedgehog and Mm -hmm. how all it, it. like a good organization is gonna, you know, there's lots of good organizations, but in order to be great, you have to define what your hedgehog is and become better at that than anyone else. Um, and so we talk about that all the time in the church about, you know, so what is our hedgehog? We're not in competition with other churches. We just want people to find Jesus, but at the same time, we want our church to grow. And so, what is our hedgehog? Why should someone come to our church over the million of other churches um, that are out there? And so we are constantly talking about um, that good to great. Um, yeah, those, those would be two that I I would definitely say are, are, are up there.
1: That's great. And now I have to add essentialism to my list because I haven't read that one yet. So I'm adding that one. Um, I want to go back to something you were talking about earlier about how you're super people oriented and that's just kind of how you're naturally wired and you've learned to grow as a leader in that. Are there any specific, um, habits that you have or things that you do intentionally, what I really want to draw out is kind of the practical, hey, here's how to stay people-oriented if you tend to naturally be a task-driven person like myself. I'm always looking for, oh my gosh, what are the things that I can do and put in place to remind myself, and as much as I hate to admit it, I do have to be reminded to really be people driven and to love people well and to lead people well, that it's not all about the tasks and the vision. So what are some of the things that you do intentionally that you could pass along?
0: Yeah, Well, I mean, a key phrase that I I say often is that great relationships happen intentionally, not accidentally. Mm. And if you want to have great relationships, you have to treat it the same way you would treat going to the gym um, or any other discipline that you have. Um, and what everyone pushes back on that because we want relationships to be organic and we want it just to happen. Um, but the problem is, if we're not intentional, it doesn't happen. I upon this uh, two different ways. The first was, um, you know, a couple that we consider probably our closest friends here. Um, they don't live. They live in Newport News. We live in Yorktown. So it's about a 15, 20 minute drive, which may not sound like a long time, but it's long enough that we just don't see each other very often. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we try, you know, we would hang out with them and try to schedule things. And, um, a few months went by and we hadn't really hung out. And so we had them over for dinner and, uh, the wife says, you guys are the best friends that we never see. And I, I just thought like, I don't want that said about me. I don't want people to say, we love, we love you guys, but we never see you. Um, and so in order to, for that to happen, we have to be intentional um, and then the second thing was really a friendship that I had um, uh, from all the way back from middle school, and um, he lives in Atlanta, Georgia. And um, just seeing and hearing, he works for the John Maxwell Company, which is is very leadership driven. Um, but just really hearing and seeing, like how they approach leadership and how intentional it is. Why shouldn't we do that same thing for relationships? And so um, again, I get it feels inauthentic. It doesn't feel. It, I don't. It, it feels like ugh, to. But if you want a great relationship, you've got to be intentional about it. So, you know, there's something I put reminders in my phone um, to reach out to people. Um, You know, text this friend, see how they're doing. Uh, Email this person, see how they're doing. Uh, Marco Polo, someone. Um, I I put memos in my phone all the time. I write notes, um, you know, try to think through. Um, Also, uh, if we have drive time, um, my wife and I both, we try to be intentional with drive time to connect with people. Everyone's always listening to podcasts or music excuse me. And all that stuff is great. But, um, using the, the app Marco Polo, um, you know, we can send messages to our friends and just say, Hey, how are you doing? Just checking on you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it weirds out some people because people are used to only hearing from someone when they need something. Um, and so you, they got to get used to it to say, Hey, I don't need anything. I just wanted to check on you. I wanted to encourage you. I just want to say, Hey, I was thinking about you. How are you doing? I, I have no agenda, um, but I just want to pour into you. And so I think if we're intentional. Um, it it goes a long way for relationships.
1: I want to be your best friend. Like, I'm just listening to you talk and I'm thinking, yes, of course, people love this. Of course, people want this. I'm going to go Marco Polo someone as soon as we're done talking. Like, yeah, go I want people to check in on me just because I love cool. it. I love talking to people um, who are gifted in you know the complete opposite way that I am because it's so inspiring and motivating and encouraging to, to hear from someone who is so relationally driven. And oriented um, because it's I, I do love people I do it's just not my natural bent my natural bent is always looking at the next you know strategic step and the vision and all of that and gosh it's people really is the the most precious thing that we have so I love how relational your heart is um, so I think that was super motivating and encouraging for somebody who's wired like me what would you say to someone in leadership who's wired more like you, who says, man, I've, I've got the people stuff down. I love people. I value people. I invest in people, but I also really feel called to lead to this particular vision. What are some of the things that you've had to do and put in place in your own life and leadership because of the way that you're wired to also keep you focused on the vision and the strategy and the actual task of
0: leadership? Um, I mean, it, it's tough. I, I think no matter what personality you have, leadership is, is hard and, mm-hmm. um, and understanding, even if, if you're good with people, it's, it's going to be hard. Um, one of the toughest things for me was, um, the, the, environment before I planted a church, the church that I worked at, um, I, I had a good cop, bad cop. I was the good cop and, uh, the lead pastor, Um, he's not, when I say bad cop, he's a great guy there. I'm not bashing on him, but like, he's the, he's the type A personality. He's the more disciplinarian, um, more just like, no, we're going to get it done. He's very laser focused and I'm more laid back and more relational. And I didn't realize how much I needed that in my life until I broke away. And I broke Mm -hmm. away and I thought, you know, I'm not going to have all this drama because I love people and people are going to want to work with me for the rest of their lives. And I'm going to be best friends, like with my whole staff. And um, this is a side note, but do you watch the show The Office? Yeah. Okay. It's my favorite television show. Before I planted a church, um, I always thought Michael Scott is an idiot. And like, I just, I loved him. He's funny. But after I planted a church, when I watched The Office, I relate so much to Michael Scott. And I don't think you're supposed to, but I'm like- Oh, he just wants to be their friend, and he just loves them, and like he thinks they're family, and like that's how I did. It. That's how I viewed everything. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, getting back to your question, the biggest thing is really learning how to put people in place that are more vision driven and can help help you in areas where you're you're you may be weak. And because mm-hmm. I really thought if I'm just nice to everyone and if I'm best friends with everyone, we're going to be able to accomplish all this stuff. But then all of a sudden, when people don't do what they're supposed to do and I'm their buddy friend, they don't listen. They're, they're, they're like, Oh, it's just Rob. Like we can. Um, and so, yeah, I I really would say making sure you're building a team and building people that are strong where you're, where you're weak. Mm -hmm. Um, and that that's been crucial for me. Yeah,
1: that's huge. That's really good. Um, and so something else that I wanted to ask you about, I want to make sure we have time for is I want you to talk a little bit about your book, um, about your latest book and just kind of the heart. Behind it, tell us a little bit about it. Don't give it all away, obviously, but sure. you know, tell us a little bit about it. And what was really the um, the the moment or the driving kind of motivating force or factor behind you actually sitting down to do this?
0: Yeah, yeah. So it all started. Um, I, I don't. I'm not a counselor, but I, as a pastor, I do a good amount of pastoral counseling, and I tell mm-hmm. people, you know, this is not like. Science backed, like I'm a good listener, and uh, Enneagram Nines tend to give decent advice, and so people get a lot of help when when they meet with me. But I try to let them know, like I I went to school to learn the Bible. I didn't go to school for counseling, Um, but I would hear over and over again after I would meet with someone where they would say, "You have unlocked something in our relationship that I've never heard before," Mm -hmm. Um, and or you gave me a piece of advice that, like you know, I've read lots of books or I've been in counseling and. Um, uh, a, about a year and a half, two years ago, someone said, "I just wish that someone would have taught me what you have taught us through our sessions a long time ago, because I think it would have fixed our, our relationship." And I thought, "Well, I can write a book about that. I can write about relationships and all that I've learned, and try to help as many people as I can." And so I started writing a book called "People Don't Come with with um, with with Rule Book." Um, I think that's what it was called. "People Don't Come with Instructions." That's what it was called. Um, People don't come with instructions and um, really saying that, like, there are no instructions for relationships. Like we're all trying to figure this out. And I was, you know, mapping out the the chapters and I started writing on a chapter and I wrote a chapter called Kill the Jerk. Um, And it was really based off this idea that um, we are nicer to people that we barely know than we are to people that are closest to us. And oftentimes the people that we just meet get a better version of ourselves than the people that we should love the most. And how come we're not the biggest champions for our spouses and the biggest champions for our friends? And like, um, you know, and I even feel this personally. Like, um, you know, the people closest to me they often are like, "Oh yeah, that's just Rob. He does his thing." And I've got these people out there that barely know me. That anything I write, they're like, "That's the best thing ever." And I'm like, "Wait." I love that. That's nice. But I would like for the people closest to me to value that too. But I do the same thing all the time. We just get used to the people that are closest to us. And uh, so really started writing about that. And that idea captured me that, um, you know, we all one of the reasons why we don't have healthy relationships is because all of us have a jerk living inside of us that we are meaner to the people closest to us. We we don't give the benefit of the doubt to the people closest to us. We snap at the people that are closest to us. The the people closest to us get the worst of us and not the best, and we need to change that. And so I, I scrapped that whole book and, and decided to focus everything on how do we kill the jerk? How do we kill this inner jerk inside of us to where we can have really healthy relationships so that our spouse is our best friend? And our friends, um, it's really healthy, and it's not toxic, and um, we can really have relationships that thrive. So that's the whole idea of the book
1: that's really good. And earlier in your introduction you mentioned how you're kind of a big social media buff and I'm really curious about your take on the the relationship there because you talk about this idea of how we're often, you know, nicer to people that we don't know as well. We don't show the same love and kindness and compassion to the people who are closest to us, who deserve it the most. And then of course you talk about this whole social media world where we're connecting on oftentimes a very surface level, you know, we're getting a highlight reel we're engaging and, and liking and commenting and all these other things. And so what are some of the factors that are at play in such a social media driven world that impact the relationships that are actually the closest to us physically and
0: relationally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think, you know, I think one thing is that real deep relationships can happen online. Um, But you've got to change your approach from saying that this is a platform where I'm going to use people to sell my products, or I'm going to use people to sell an agenda. And I'm really going to connect to people. Um, And I stumbled upon this um, years ago. I used to blog five days a week. And there are still people who I've never met in person, but I have their cell phone number. Um, I text with them. I play words with friends with them. Um, I still have relationships with people that I've never physically met. And it all started through a blog. Um, but when you really treat people and care about people, and they're, I, I, th- I actually think social media can be used as a tool to enhance and to make our relationships ships better.
1: And how do we do that in healthy ways?
0: Yeah. Um, I think it's going to be different for each each person, but I I would say it goes back to being intentional. If you are, um, if you want great relationships, you've got to be intentional about it. And so um, a a mantra that I have for my life is if I ever think something good, I say it. Mm. And social media is a great way to do that because there is a lot of negativity because the the bad side of social media is that because there's a keyboard, um, sometimes people are ruder than, than what they might be face to face. Um, and so, cause they think I'll never see this person or, or, or whatever. And so, um, and there's just a lot of nasty opinions. There's a lot of, there's a lot of horrible stuff online. Um, so I try to live by, if I think something nice, I say it. And so a great way to connect online is you don't have to, um, you don't have to have a reason to encourage, except for you just thought about someone. And so if I'm sitting, you know, driving down the road and, and just, I think of someone, I'll send them a text or I'll get on Facebook and say, Hey, I thought of you and, and you know, you're know, you awesome at this. You do great at this. and Um, Or I'm so encouraged. Thanks for being my friend. Or just trying to encourage someone. And when you think something nice, say it. And that discipline goes a long way on social media.
1: So two things that I want to ask you, because you're just you're making me think of so much and I love what you're talking about. Um, How... How have you developed such intentional disciplines in your life? And I want to ask specifically about your writing, because I know we've got a lot of listeners who also are writers and who are kind of trying to figure out, because writing in itself almost feels like its own full-time job. But you know, here you are as a husband and a father, and you've got this eight-year-old church that you're leading, and you do coaching, and you used to blog five days a week, and you've written books. How... How does that happen? Talk to us about building discipline into our lives.
0: This is a hard truth that, um, this may not be true for everyone, but I feel like it's true for most of us. We are not as busy as we all say and act like we're all busy, but we're not as busy as we all will. And I know we're not all busy as, as we feel we are because everyone and their mom has time to watch Tiger King. If you have time to watch Tiger King on Netflix, you're not all that busy. Um, like that's not an essential documentary that you need to watch. And we've all been captured by it. And in our office, we've been talking about this documentary. Left, I don't have you seen Tiger King.
1: You know, I actually just this week, my husband was watching it and, and I I walked through the room and basically, you know, like you said, it captured my attention. I said, yeah. What in God's name is this Isn't ridiculous yeah. show? And the next thing I know,
0: two episodes later, I'm just sitting here enthralled. Yeah. And so it you know, it's the same thing with like I find that I would say, oh, I'm so busy. And yet when I get my little report weekly of how much time I spend on social media, it's ridiculous. Like um, it's absolutely ridiculous that I spend so much time on Facebook and Instagram and I try to use all that stuff for good. But if you just carve out a little bit of time a day and say, you know what? I, you know, It's like that, that uh, big thing they say, how do you eat an elephant? It's one bite at a time. It's the same thing with any goal. And so for writing a book, um, uh, my kids go to school um, at 7:30, and so our office hours uh, don't start till 9 a.m. And so from 7:30 to 9, I would go to the office and I would just write on the book. And sometimes it would be 15 minutes because I'd get distracted or something else would happen. And sometimes I would get a full, you know, hour in. And um, and a little bit at a time over a consistent basis, you find out, wow, I've just I've just knocked out a, a, a book um, in a pretty quick amount of time, just because of a consistency of every day I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna do this. Um, and then I also found, um, you know, there were times where, um, uh, there was one Saturday where, where everyone in my family had something to do, but me and my normal go-to is to watch a movie or to play a video game if I have downtime. And I said, okay, instead of that, I'm just going to write on the book. And I worked on the book for four hours, um, and knocked out three or four chapters in that amount of time, um, where I could just focus on nothing but the book. So just being intentional again, a little bit at a time can, it, it really can go a long way.
1: Hmm, that's good. And so then that leads me into the, the next thing. And the last thing that I want to ask you, um, being someone who has so many disciplines, so many good things that you're obviously giving your life and your gifts to, and for someone who is active on social media in healthy ways, and who's so relationally driven and people focused, how do you practice rest and self care? What does that look like for
0: you? Um, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm probably not the best at it. Um, and one of the things is I, we, we talked kind of and joked a little bit about Enneagram, but one of the things that just totally unlocked something for me with, with Enneagram is that for me as a nine negative emotions, um, I, I, I bury them and I don't want anything to do with negative emotions. So like, I don't feel stress. I, I bury it. Um, I find that I'm stressed because I'm binge eating um, or I can't sleep at night or I'm snapping at, at my wife or kids. And she's like, "Why? you know, why what's going on with you? And I'm like, nothing. I feel fine. Um, but I don't feel the stress. I, I see what it does to me. And so mm. um, so that's been eye opening to me um, because I'm not someone who feels burnout or, or just is constantly like I need a break. Like I feel like I could just keep going. But the stress comes out in other ways. Um, so you know, I, I, a couple things that I've tried to do, and I'm not always best at this. Um, but a couple things that I try to do is uh, be very intentional on my days off um, to to really rest. Um, and that means also, like I, I don't I don't feel guilty about taking a nap. Um, I don't apologize for it. Um, and I've even scheduled naps. I've even put it in my calendar to say this is what I'm doing to make sure that it happens. Um, but you know, trying to rest um, and also making sure. Um, that I have downtime with with family is really important. Um, And so, yeah, but it is a struggle. It's a struggle for me. I think it's a struggle for, and social media actually makes it more complicated um, because we have less boundaries. Um, And it's just, it's easier to, um, you know, my wife gets on me often because it's like, I'm home from work, but then, you know, someone sends me a Facebook message and it's like, that grabs my attention. And it's just, it's harder those boundaries I, I do not do I would not write a book right now on Sabbath the rest I'll tell you that <laughs> okay
1: well thanks for your honesty um, but speaking of the book I want to make sure that people know how to get it and just thank you again for sharing so much good time and wisdom with us today um and I love everything that you have to say about relationships um I, I honestly can say that I don't think I've been this motivated or encouraged for a long time to really, truly love people well. And so um, I know I'm not the only one thinking and feeling that. And so people that want to grab this book and really strengthen their relationships, um, where can they get it?
0: So you can get it anywhere where books are, are sold. Um, most books are sold through Amazon, but Barnes and Noble um, also has it. Um, books a million online, any place, pick your favorite book retailer. And you can order it online. It's available through uh, paperback and also Kindle um, or Nook. So if you prefer the electronic book, um, those versions are available as well.
1: Awesome. And we'll link all of that in the show notes. So for anybody that's listening who says, Hey, I want to make sure I get my hands on that. Just make sure you go to the show notes. However you listen to the podcast, everything will be linked there. Um, and we'll make sure that you know exactly how to get it and how to connect with Rob further. So Rob, just on behalf of everybody, I just want to say thank you so much for giving us your time and just for sharing with us today.
0: Oh, it's an honor. Thank you so much for sharing your platform and letting me, uh, Let me be a little bit, uh, a little part of of your side of the web. Of course.
1: Thanks for listening to the Table Leadership Podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to the resources that were discussed at the table today and to connect with today's guest. Remember to subscribe to the Table Podcast and follow along on social media at the Table Leadership. Visit thetableleadership.com to learn more about current courses and coaching opportunities. And finally, you can connect with me, your host, at conedgerton.com, or on social media at conedgerton. I look forward to the next time that you pull up a seat at the table.